On AM 550, FM 99.9, WSAU, online worldwide at WSAU.com as well. I'm WSAU News Director Mike Leishner here in the studio. And uh, we are starting Making Financial Sense on time, which uh, generally means that Merle is live via yeah, phone. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Merle, where, where are you? Uh, are we uh, at some exotic location today? Yeah, we're at some exotic location. We're sitting at my counter in my kitchen in Weston. Well, that's not it's very exotic. exotic. It's not pretty exotic, but uh, <laughs> boy, folks, if you guys are listening, you know, a couple months or a couple, well, about a month ago or so, I got this respiratory thing, and it went away at large. And for one reason or another, Wednesday I decided to start coming back again. And so uh, I'm living on Tylenol, and uh, things are knocked down fever. So it's just doesn't want to go away. So it's kind of like the snow outside right now; it just doesn't want to end. Yeah, that's true. We uh, do have some light snow coming down outside uh, the WSAU studio in downtown Wausau, about 45 or so for the high after we got spoiled a couple of weeks ago with temperatures in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, thought we were done with this completely. Turns out that's not the case. But, hey, in my case, I'm not exactly complaining because my backyard, uh, Merle, I should send you a picture of it. My backyard needs to be shaped up completely. Uh, I've got a very, very patchy backyard right now. Uh, so sure. it has been seeded, it has been fertilized, and it has been seeded again. Um, I'm going to take all the free water and uh, free uh, free moisture yeah. to get that started I can get. Well, with the snow, one of the things it's done is it's taken all my friends that have dogs, and it uh, gave them a certain stay of execution for cleaning up after the dog over the winter. <laughs> the snow whatever covers it all up, so it looks good if you have relatives coming over for the day. So Right. Yeah, that's one benefit to, to look at this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, I mean, we got to have something to look at on the bright side because things this week in your world anyway, were uh, largely mixed. We had a couple of days yeah, yeah. where there wasn't a whole lot of movement in the market. Uh, I know one day it seemed like there was barely any movement at all by the end of the day. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, at, at good, it's good news as long as we're not losing money, right? Yeah, there's a little bit of a holding pattern that's going on right now. Um, with the marketplace trying to decide, you know, what's going on with the debt ceiling? You know, is the uh, debt ceiling going to have a problem? Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? We, of course, have the proposals from the Republican side and, of course, from the administration. And so the market is literally settling, settling down saying, well, what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? We see some corporates and banks and so forth that are not buying up the treasuries that normally have saying, why should we buy them if we think there's a possibility of it going to default? I don't think we that happens. I think we certainly uh, find a way to get that debt ceiling increased. We've always have in the past, uh, but I think we have the uh, the stare down right now between the GOP and the Democratic Party uh, to see what is going to occur, what's going to happen for the future. And as a result, the stock market is just kind of sitting around, going, uh, "Hey, you know, what are we going to do here? Um, is this good? Is this bad? Do we plan for the future? Do we plan for something terrible? You know, so all that's going to happen right now as we speak. And as a result, the market's indecisive." And just kind of sits there at the moment. Yeah, which, as I said earlier, is, you know, in a way, good news because it means that we're not losing money. It means those with 401ks aren't taking uh, a big loss for the week. But uh, but at yeah. the same time, uh, it's, it's a matter of we don't have any sort of indication now of what's going to happen when something is decided. So it means we could be setting ourselves up for... Uh, big swings one way or another come June when that deadline uh, approaches. Yeah, yeah. There's an article that's out here by Vivian Chen, which says, here's how anxiety over the U.S. debt ceiling may play out in the marketplace. And it's a nice little article that's out there. Um, of course, uh, folks, we use marketwatch.com for our programming. 
um, uh, you know, for our research in here. So um, in here, again, they chat about, you know, our companies uh, um, waiting for a default, not for a default, and they're buying uh, the buying frenzy in one-month treasuries, which is about as short as you can possibly get. So if the uh, government does default in June, you buy a one-month treasury right now, hopefully it'll be paid back uh, before the default starts to happen. So, and again, I don't think we're going to. It's always been the the case that we've got these things done. But again, we'll see what happens with that showdown along the way. And along the way, I think the markets just kind of settle in with a wait and see and wait and see what happens with uh, inflation. Hopefully, continue to have uh, progression with inflation. And of course, inflation is a, a whole nother ball of wax because it turns out we might not be as done with uh, rate hikes as we thought, depending on who you talk to again. Uh, as yeah, we yeah, are making yeah. financial sense here on AM 550, FM 99.9, WSAU, and at WSAU.com. As always, uh, Merle is on the phone, but that doesn't mean we don't have an open phone line for you. We absolutely do. So if you have a question for Merle, you can go ahead and give us a call at 715-845-2155, and we will gladly uh, put you through. And uh, Merle, as you mentioned, or as I had mentioned, I guess, uh, regarding rate hikes uh you were talking about and again this is the uh, completely unofficial uh uh monday morning armchair quarterback uh as far as rate hikes go which is i guess i I excel at that job by the way yeah i guess i just designated that as your position (laughs) you said uh one more possibly 25 basis point hike or quarter percent hike uh there are some people though that say we might need uh, a little more than that before the year is done to uh, to get things back to where they need to be, yeah, you know maybe I I think I think one more is in the books, and, and the reason for it is the Federal Reserve said right off the bat that they wanted to be about the five percent mark, and right now our federal funds rate is four twenty, I'm sorry, four seventy five to five point zero, and I think having that twenty five basis point is that last arrow in the quiver, if you will, to head us at the five to five and a quarter. But remember the work that happens with the Fed; it takes a while to settle in. It doesn't just immediately have an effect instantly um, it tends to have to settle in for eight months to almost even a year uh, before the rate hikes actually uh, settled in and if we look at what's happening with m2 money supply coming down we see inflation coming down um, it, it's working at this point in time and so i don't know if we need to go any more other than the quarter percent to hit us right into that initial uh, block or range that um, chairman paul and federal reserve wanted to do which is that five percent range uh, for that uh, fed reserve or fed uh, Discount window, that rate. Indeed. And, uh, you know, in my job as news director, obviously I got to cover a, a lot of meetings and sometimes I have to wear very, very many uh, different hats in addition to trying to read an article or two or, or uh, find a couple of things to prepare for this show each week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a Wausau City meeting and there was a developer talking about one of the new developments that's going to be coming to town, SC Swiderski, actually, uh, with, with the River Life development. And they said, you know, we've actually, in putting this project off by a couple of years, we have seen a lot of our supply costs come down. So we are seeing from the developers and from the people who buy these things at uh, wholesale that they have said, yes, some of these prices are coming down. That's working in our favor. Now, of course, the cost of borrowing has gone up. So uh, are they really saving money? No, but the supply costs are coming down. Yeah, there was a sweet spot a couple of months ago um, that I think we saw the interest rates still relatively low, and at the same time we saw the the prices dropping. We're building was just great, but if you look at the the balance, it really doesn't seem to be all that bad at the moment. Um, you know, there's there's some articles this morning that we're kind of talking about, and I chuckled in my head. 
talking about preparation for retirement. And, you know, one of the things in there is, you know, prepare where you're going to live. And uh, so my wife and I have been looking at it and we you know, have a house that's perfectly fine for us right now. But if one of us goes into a nursing home or needs a walk or something like that, our house just is going to quite cut it. We said, do we want to look at, you know, possibly a different house? And um, I think it was, she was talking more about me because, you know, I'm kind of a hefty guy. And if she needs a wheelchair, she needs some room to push me. Like she might have to take a running start just to get the inertia going. <laughs> but um, uh, that said, you know, we looked at it and, you know, look at the, the financing, the prices and, and all the stuff coming along. And it really doesn't appear to be much different than what it was years ago when we built this house, just because the prices have come down, even though the uh, financing rates are up. So it's almost a wash for us in one place uh, versus another if we decide to go that route. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, if I start, uh, you know, having to wear uh, sweatpants every day and having to be in a wheelchair and get myself all in rough shape, um, at least there'll be room for her to give me a push around the house. 715-845-2155 is the number to call if we still have anybody left listening after the uh, mental images of Merle in a uh, wheelchair. Uh, <laughs> talking, uh, talking, making financial sense here. Uh, Merle, once again, uh, if uh, folks... Uh, have any questions for you, go ahead and give us a call because we do have an open phone line for you as well. And in fact, if you uh, give us a call during the breakup coming, we could maybe even prepare and sound even more intelligent than we already do. Well, let's not uh, give people, you know, false hopes here, uh, Mike. Right. Indeed. As, as the disclaimer <laughs> says, this can, show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. So, you know, there's there's something that popped into an article here, and let me get back to the article. Um, there's an article called These Simple Seven Portfolios That Have Beat the S&P 500 for More Than 50 Years. And it's an article by Paul Merriman. And the reason we pop this up is the alpha, which is the pure growth in the portfolio, and everybody's striving to get alpha or rate of return over and above the indices. And in, in doing so, it's enormously difficult to do, and largely people don't get it done. Um, but through here, with Paul Merriman's article, he talks about a portfolio that's diversified that have beat the S&P 500 for 50 years. Now, folks, I'm not telling you to run out and do this portfolio by any stretch of the imagination. But I think this article uh, does very well for us in that it teaches us the benefits of diversification and what it does and how we might be able to add a little bit more to our portfolio than what we're doing in one thing alone. So in here, the thing that they're measuring against is the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 has done really well, of course, over the past 53 uh, calendar years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're going from 1970 to 2022. And in that period of time, the S&P 500, if you put $10,000 in in 1970, it'd be worth $1.89 million at the end of 2022. So with that going, they're talking about other portfolios that would have even added more diversity or more rates of returns inside of it. And the biggest thing to take in this article, and I'll give you the article name, is this simple, well, I said it before, uh, these seven simple portfolios that have beat the S&P 500 for more than 50 years, again, by Paul Merriman. The biggest thing in here that they're finding is that you get better rates of returns. And this is right out of the original studies uh, that were found by uh, Harry Markowitz and Merton Miller. Um, from modern portfolio theory, is that as you add the additional asset classes, it tends to improve the rate of return and at the same time tends to drop the volatility or risk. And so they got some great articles on the inside. So what they have with the S&P 500, if you put a 100% there, 
And then if you're spreading it out between U.S. and international and REITs, international growth and international value and small cap and U.S. growth and et cetera, et cetera, and adding it around. But it's a great little article. If you're into developing portfolios and putting them together, this is a great little article to take a look at on how you diversify that money and get it spread around. Um, but again, like everything, diversify, diversify, diversify. can't have everything sitting inside of one place. And that includes having all your money just sitting in the S&P 500 and uh, doing the old Ron Popeil set it and forget it thing. We still have to have diversification. 715-845-2155 is the number to call if you have a question for Merle. We'll be back after this here on Making Financial Sense on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU. That is the disembodied voice of one Merle Kelch as we hit the phone line once again at 715-845-2155, which means uh, Merle is not here in person right now. He is on the phone from the lovely tropical location of uh, Weston. Is that correct? That's right. <laughs> and we're not talking about Weston, Florida. We're talking about Weston, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, so we're, we're still here at home. Yes, indeed. Um, Merle, you uh, you you brought something up there at the end of that last segment that uh, kind of kind of piqued my interest a little bit um, because it actually has something to do with kind of the state that I'm at as far as retirement planning goes. Now, I don't want to talk about this too much on air, obviously, uh, because it involves my own personal uh, retirement, and and that's nobody's business but my own. But one thing that you did say is. You want to be at a spot where you're diversified and not necessarily set it or forget it. Well, I guess I'll tell you right now, I'm at the set it and forget it phase. The money comes out of the paycheck every month. It goes into that invisible uh, account. That's nothing more than math on a computer screen to me every time I occasionally log into it. Uh, At what point does somebody like me maybe want to switch that up a little bit and say, let's start getting a little more aggressive uh, so we can take a couple extra trips in retirement? Sure. You know, Mike, you hit upon something in, in, in when I say set it and forget it, I probably mean that a little bit differently, which you might be thinking. Okay. But let me, let me uh, back up on this because you're hitting upon something that's important. You know, a lot of people just simply say, well, I'm just going to put my money inside of that one account or that one fund in my 401k. Um, and a lot of times today, it turns to be one of those asset allocation funds or a target fund of some nature. They put it in there and just leave it. Now, that's better than doing nothing, and I'm not going to say that it's not. But for many people, having a, a portfolio is diversified based upon what it is that they want to do, whether they're going to be aggressive, conservative, et cetera, et cetera, that is a much better way. You should talk to your financial professional about your 401k. Now, that said, I go down a different road here for a second. Um, <clears throat> you know, folks, part of our industry is just supposed to take care of clients, and taking care of our clients is looking at people as a whole. And so if you have a financial professional that doesn't want to touch your 401k because you're not going to give them a couple of shekels to help them with it, him or her, find somebody else. And I mean that so seriously. Um, you know, their their job should be taking care of you wholly as a financial professional. We have clients that, you know, work with us and they just give us, you know, comparatively in this world a small dollar amount, but we still help with the 401ks because it's just simply the right thing to do. And so, okay, I'll hop off my soapbox now. <laughs> but looking at that 401k, you know, 401ks today are much better than what they used to be. Years and years ago, if you look at a 401k and they had the required five uh, investment choices and that was it. And boy, today you're finding some that got dozens of choices on the inside. And for me, I could look at it fairly quickly and look at it and say, okay, here's where we are, A, B, C, D, split it up like this, done, 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 done. 
it's because I do this every single day for a living. But as where, um, just from your example, Mike, I mean, your, your job is not 401ks. Your job is making news and uh, taking care of the radio and taking care of me and this kind of thing. And so it's this whole different mindset. And so for a lot of people, they get accustomed to saying, I don't really know what to do, so I'm just going to put it inside of this fund, this one. And, and the whole reality is, is that one is certainly going to get you there, but having um, eight different investments is probably going to get you there with uh, better returns of the least amount of risk. You know, if you take a look at modern portfolio theory or even the article that we talked about today, it's that diversification, spreading the money around is what gives us that best return, least amount of risk. You know, I'm just going to give you an example of, of uh, last year in 21. You know, last year in 21, almost the only place that we made money in the marketplace was in things that had oil and gas types of stuff in it. So we took a look at, you know, uh, I'm sorry, in 22 was things that had oil and gas in it. We looked at oil and gas got absolutely fleeced in 20. Um, uh, 21, it came up a little bit bad, uh, better, and that's the reason when the pandemic happened. We stopped driving around, so we didn't use gas or fuel. And so anything oil and gas fell apart. Well, that came back again in 21. And in 22, it took off. So if you had oil and gas stocks, that's about the only place that made money. And as the turn of the year came around, all of a sudden those stocks just cooled off again. So we had a you know fund we used with clients that was a large cap value fund. Um, it made real good money in 22 and everything else seemed to fall apart. And this year, boy, it can't find a rate of return to save its can because of the oil and gas. And if you're just in that one fund, you're getting whipsawed. As where this year, if you have anything that had a touch of technology, that, that took off. And that one stunk last year. But you blend the two together, you look and say, hey, I actually made some money in two years um, that were uh, night and day or the last few years. And that's the reason you have to have that diversification in your 401k, like the rest of your investments, just making sure you have that money spread around. Because there's always going to be something going well and something going bad. You have to have that yin and yang in a portfolio. Indeed. And uh, Merle, just to, I mean, you, you hit on a lot of stuff in there. Uh, my my big question right now is how much of your job is knowing international relations to uh, economic uh, strategies and data? And uh, then, of course, as we've talked about before, uh, being a counselor and therapist occasionally. <laughs> I've had people ask me, say, how do you know so much about this stuff? Well, because I'm crazy. That's why. I mean, I'm nutty in a fruitcake, you know. Um, boy, um, let me let me just back up into my world. You know, when I grew up as a kid, um, about third grade, I guess I said, when I grew up, I wanted to be a stockbroker. Who knew that? And I found this later, years later on. That's when my father passed away. I saw one of those things I drew, you know. And who at third grade knows what a stockbroker is? And ever since I've been a kid, investments, economics, that kind of stuff has always just been enormously interesting to me. Um, you know, I know how a computer game is programmed. I know how the programming works and functions, and I've done a little bit of that just for out of fun. Play them. You don't want me to be on your video game team. <laughs> so, 715-845-2155 is the number to call. Uh, good morning. You're on Making Financial Sense with Merle Kelch. Good morning, good morning Merle. Uh, Who are we talking to? I, uh, I'm not a real frequent one, and so I don't know if this has been breached before, but could you give me some information on I-bonds? Um, I-bonds, you know, great thing right now, just some things to do a little bit of work on them as far as research goes. Um, look at treasurydirect.gov for getting information on them. So I-bonds are really popular right now because the inflation rates are up. 
And with the inflation rates up, you get a certain amount of base rate, which, of course, that has gone up, plus the added inflation component to it. So I-bonds are 10-year bonds, and for an individual bond, you can only go to $10,000. And once you put the money in, it has to stay there for six months. I'm sorry, for one year. After that, you can sell it with a penalty uh, up to a five-year mark, um, but you can sell it still. But you're going to get an interest rate reset um, on that bond about every six months. So I don't know what the, the next date is, um, but they'll tell you what the interest rate is going to be for the next six months, and you should see that relatively soon. I know last year um, it was at 9.1% for uh, six months, and I think that actually just finished up here just recently. I don't know what the new one is. So I-bonds are good. Now, like anything else, you have to watch them because, you know, we go back 15, 20 years ago and you had a negative return for holding the I-bonds because the inflation was so low with interest rates low. But, again, good tool. What's the penalty for early withdrawal? Oh, boy. Um, I don't remember what it is off the okay. top of my head. Um, it's nothing extravagant for one okay. reason or another. I want to say it's six months worth of interest. Okay. I think okay. that's what it is. Very good. Okay. Don't quote me Please. on that exact, but I think so. Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. All right. Yep. Thanks for the call. Again, 715-845-2155 is the number to call. Uh, Merle, we will take a quick break here to get to our local and uh, regional news update. And uh, we will be back after this as we are making financial sense on WSAU. Here on AM 550, FM 99.9, WSAU, and online at WSAU.com as well. I'm WSAU News Director Mike Leishner. He is Merle Kelch joining us on the phone for uh, making financial sense. And uh, Merle, I know you've got another uh, you got another article sitting there in your back pocket that's uh, mm-hmm. burning a hole. So we should probably get to that before, uh, before you've got uh, pants on fire over there. This one's so exciting, I'm having a hard time containing myself. <laughs> so, folks, I apologize if I start sounding like Barry White once again. So part of this thing that I have makes my voice go kind of crazy. So if I start saying, you know, I don't know why I can't get enough of your love, baby, you'll know the reasoning for that <laughs> uh, when the time comes up. So there's an article out here by Beth Pinster. And this article is actually pretty good, not for what the title of the article is, but for a couple of things that it brings up within the article. So inside of the article, uh, which is named, I retired at 55 with $2 million in my 401k. Should I buy an annuity with $200,000 in taxable brokerage or use it to fund a Roth conversion? So from this in the article, um, the author, um, she goes through and talks to other financial advisors about opinions on what to do in the portfolio. But one of the things that popped up is something that I think is is going to be a time bomb for many people listening out here. And that is the amount of money that you have inside of qualified dollars. So I do recommend reading this article. It's really good. And the the section that she has in here calls the looming RMDs, or required minimum distributions. So let let me put it this way, Mike, and for everybody listening. We all know and we've been ingrained in our heads to say that we have to have a certain amount of money inside of stocks and bonds and mutual funds and, you know, some bond accounts and money market and cash and, you know, there's... There's as many opinions as far as how much we should have all of those as, as anything else. Um, but nobody ever looks at it and say, well, how much of this should we have that's going to be in qualified dollars, such as IRAs or 401ks? How much is supposed to be in non-qualified dollars, which is just pure retail cash we have? Um, how much is supposed to be inside of the savings accounts and that type of thing? Um, how much are we supposed to have in each one of those taxable groups? And quite frankly, I don't know that there's an answer for that. You know, how much do we have inside of Roth IRAs, et cetera? 
I don't think there's an answer for that. But one thing that does appear to be a problem, we run into it fairly frequently, is that we'll have people who will not take money out of their IRAs or qualified dollars during retirement. They'll take it out of everything else first. So what happens then is by the time you hit age 70 and a half, now 72, now 73 this year, and it looks like going up to 75, we have to start taking that money out in what's called a required minimum distribution. And now it starts at 4%. So we look at that dollar value. And for many of us who got used to retiring on a set dollar value throughout our 60s before we hit 70s, this money just starts adding on top of becoming a big tax problem. And guess what? When we pass away, not the first of us, but the second of us, it now becomes a tax problem to our kids because they have that money and have to pay the taxes on that time bomb. And so from that, um, it's really become a, a thorn to the sense that we, we know we have to address it. How do we address it? What do we do? And I'm a big fan of saying, why don't you leave the money that's non-taxable, leave that sit around. When we pass away, that stuff is going to step up in basis. But all those RMDs, why don't we spend some of that, try to keep that tax under control as we come up into our 70s and 80s? Of course, my accounting friends will say, well, no, let's have the least amount of tax possible and uh, that type of thing. And my estate friends probably have a whole other conversation on their end. But it appears as though it's a lot less of a problem if we spend some of that money along the way. We can control our tax by how much of it we take out. Um, but um, it's better for us to spend some of that taxable time bomb now versus later on and having the IRS take so much of it um, upon the death of the second of us. Uh, when it goes off to our kids. He is Merle Kelch. As always, we are making financial sense here on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU. And just because Merle is on the phone, that doesn't mean we don't have an open phone line for you. So if you have a question, you can go ahead and feel free to give us a call at 715-845-2155. Again, that's 715-845-2155. And, uh, Merle, as we had talked about a little earlier in the show, everything this week uh, just kind of steady in a holding pattern, uh, not too much uh, of a swing one way or another. Uh, is that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the best news that we could get this week? Is it uh, is it good news for investors? Is it bad news or is it, you know, just kind of uh, another week on the job? Um, I think it's just kind of another week on a job. Remember, the market reacts to whatever might happen as far as a knee-jerk reaction, and there just wasn't enough of a great knee-jerk reaction this week. Um, by the way, I just want to let you know that the uh, uh, president and CFO of SVB Bank uh, have resigned, just to let you know. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, just to let you know. So, right. Um, but, you know, things are just kind of a holding pattern. See, and I think, quite honestly, um, people want to see what's going on with um, uh, the debt ceiling um, and what's going to happen. I think it's the reason why we've seen the markets just be kind of flat at the moment. And flat at the moment is okay. I don't have a problem with flat. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I don't have a problem with uh, flat either because that means that, uh, you know, things are boring and, you know, nothing overly bad is happening. And I will take that over having things that are, you know, a constant stream of things that are abnormally good only to have a crash a little later on. You kind of learn to appreciate uh stuff yeah. like that in this business. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's the same for, for your business though. Indeed. So we've had some, uh, text hardware, uh, tech hardware is the term I want to use. Okay. Um, so Wallace, uh, Wilkowski has an article out there that says tech hardware has, um, already is, was already struggling, but the marketing conditions had deteriorated even more. So Seagate, for example, the company has been having a hard time because, um, uh, they just have 
sales dropping off and so much inventory. Um, this and the reason for this article is talking about you know the tech sector jumped up so much. Um, could it be coming back down again because of a lot of inventory that's being found in certain areas? Um, perhaps. Um, but what I find interesting in this is that um, you know the tech sector, the inventory of all these you know chips, chip manufacturers, storage, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, they've run up, they restocked and re-overstocked, and now they're sitting on extra inventory. So remember I talked about this conversation, and this is the Merle Kelps theory, is that we shut off in the marketplace, you know, the marketplace went down, we came back up to a mean as far as GDP goes. Then we way overshot, we added a whole bunch more jobs, a whole bunch of inventory, a whole bunch of business got the supply chains built back up, supply chains built back up. And now it's going to be called a recession, but I still think that we're having a regression back to a norm from a GDP standpoint. And if you understood that, folks, fantastic. You're better than me because I'm just making this up as I go along. <laughs> um, but I think we're starting to see the same thing in some of these tech companies. They had so many uh, you know, chips and stuff made up um, uh, along the way, and I think that's starting to come back down there in the tech sector as well. And I think it's a regression to the mean. Um, that's just the Merle Kelp's opinion as far as what's going on and the reason we still have such high uh, employment and low unemployment uh, in the marketplace that's supposed to be slowing. Now, first quarter GTP, uh, GDP, which is our gross domestic product, folks, that's essentially the sales of everything in the country. Um, I don't know if the numbers came out officially, but I just read an article from First Trust and Brian Westbury that estimated a 2.3% GDP for the month or for the quarter, which, again, is not a recession. We still continue to keep having some growth. So with that being the case, um, I still think this is just over uh, over manufacturer because the supply chain got better. We have a little bit over inventory. It's going to slow some things down. I know even locally here inside Owasso, we drove past the targets, and in the background, we see all the containers that are holding inventory in the back of targets. Target has talked about that, and I think we got a lot of excess inventory sitting around because we ramped up so fast and now we're slowing back down to an average to get this stuff uh, spent and put back together and normalized in our economy as a result of uh, this pandemic. So, Which, of course, is only going to mean good things because uh, then the 60-inch flat-screen TV that I uh, have been eyeing for so long may finally come on sale to the point where I can afford it. Well, what I would do is I'd get a 65 now. Okay. You, what, what, you know what? You know what? You, you talked permission. me into it. You talked yeah, you me into my, it. Yeah. Um, you have my permission. <laughs> All right. Yeah, maybe I'll get the uh, robotic vacuum uh, while I'm at it as well, so that way my oh, yeah. uh, my house doesn't always look like, uh, you know, it's um, <laughs> occasionally not lived in or only lived in by my cat, for that matter, yeah. which is the case uh, more often than not, but that's neither here nor there. Here's Merle Kelch. Again, we're making financial sense on AM550, FM 99.9, WSAU, and online at WSAU.com. We'll have one final segment uh, for the program coming up in just a bit. But first, uh, let's get to uh, Chris Conley. Here's this day. 8.59 on your Saturday morning here on AM550, FM 99.9, WSAU. Overcast skies out there right now. Uh, outside the studios here in downtown Wausau, the Precipitation has stopped. We no longer see any of those uh, tiny frozen. All I'm going to say is they're things. I'm not going to say what uh, what I'm really thinking in my head because that's not uh, uh, that's not appropriate for broadcast. 
Um, though that is no longer falling, at least here in downtown Wausau. We could see some more precipitation later today as well. Temperatures on their way to a high of about 44. Uh, Merle, how's the how are the uh, cardinal? How's the cardinal situation outside the uh, home in Weston there? Well, he just left. He must have got full. Okay. He, he, well, at least you fed him. So, <laughs> well, yeah, so did he leave a tip though? Did he tip his server? Well, he's leaving tips, but I'll have to clean that up later. <laughs> he is Merle Kelch as we are making financial sense he, here on uh, WSAU. Of course, we do have a, an open phone line for you. So if you have a question for Merle, feel free to give us a call at 715-845-2155. And uh, we do have time to get a couple of those callers in here before the top of the hour and before we uh, release Merle to go about his regularly scheduled uh, Saturday. Merle, what to uh, what has been the topic of discussion around the office of uh, Kelch and Associates this week? Well, you know, one of the, the biggest things that we've been getting, and there's a, an, an article, which, of course, is how we live in this uh, this program, popped up about it, which is saying, well, you know, if everything is, why is the stock market going up if it, everybody's saying we're going to have a recession? And, I mean, you can go through the mathematical reasons for it, but in here, article with William Watts, which says, um, why bears can't keep the stock market down despite bad news. Uh, they got us, uh, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with the statement, but it does make it rather succinct, and, uh, succinct in how it, uh, it comes to the answer. Um, and so, in here, it is from Tom Essie, who was the founder of the Stevens Report Research. He defined it succinctly on Tuesday, as he says, "The goal of the market is to extract the most amount of pain from the greatest number of people." I'm not necessarily if I agree with that, but he continues on in his conversation and says that. If we take a look at it, um, the trade, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, when every means, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this right. That means when everyone is bearish, meaning that everybody thinks the market is going to go down, the pain trade will be for the stock markets to move higher. And when everyone is bullish, the stock markets move lower. So he's saying that just because everybody thinks that there's a recession coming and the worst is coming ahead, you extract the most pain, you make the stock market go up. I'm not necessarily that's true. Um, but it is an interesting take on why that would be the case, uh, probably from a sociological standpoint, I would guess. Um, so in here, uh, they go through and have the conversations on why they think that is, and of course, put the, uh, the math to it and that whole bit along the way. So I've never heard about anybody saying that the market is to extract the most amount of pain from people. Interesting. That uh, yeah, that seems counter. Uh, that seems against what the the whole point. Yeah, of the market yeah, so. is. I mean, I th- I kind of thought, and, and again, this is just me, that the point of the market and investing in things like that was to grow your wealth, which I would think is not painful. Precisely. You know, right back to the original origins of the stock market is uh, they were designed to spread the risk of a ship going down when it was being shipped from the new world to the old world. And so they would all put in a certain amount of money and saying, if we make a lot of money, we all make a great deal. If we lose some money, we can spread that risk around. We all lose a little bit instead of a, a one person taking on everything with one ship. And so it was always designed to um, have growth with diversification, not to extract amount, the, the most amount of pain. So definitely an interesting way in which to, uh, to look at that. I'll have to ponder that one further. Yeah, and I guess I did not know that that uh, was the story of how the stock, stock market began. But I, I suppose you've got a. You've got a class for that, so we'll maybe we'll maybe get to that on a, on a later show. We do. Many people don't know it, but uh, interestingly enough, the 
um, stock market in the United States started underneath an old hickory tree in 1778 at the end of Wall Street. Huh. Interesting. You Your tidbit for the day. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. We do have somebody on the phone lines right now. Uh, good morning. You're making financial sense with Merle Kelch. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is Tom. Morning, Tom. Hey. I uh, hope you feel better. Well, Anyhow, um, are you familiar with uh, Jeppy uh, and JEPQ? They're uh, they derive their income from derivatives. Do you have an opinion on them? I'm not familiar with this this particular. Um, I'm going to guess it's probably an ETF, is what it is. Would be my guess. So I'm not familiar yep. with that. Yes. But income from derivatives has been around for a long time. But like anything else, you have to know what's on the inside of it. And let me give you an example. Um, the, the most common income from derivatives is, let's say, you own a, 100 shares of, of XYZ company. And uh, from that, you're going to sell a call option off of somebody, and they're going to buy that call option, expecting that that stock price is going to uh, you know, go up or down, and they'll be able to buy it from you at a different price later on. You as holding XYZ stock, you're hoping that the stock doesn't go up and that exercise, that option's not going to be exercised. But you get to keep the premium for selling that call option. So that's where they've, um, um, the, the basic background of using a, um, a derivative, which is an option for income. And it can work pretty good, uh, but you have to own the underlying stock. If you don't own the underlying stock, there's all kinds of risks involved and unlimited losses and all that kind of so if a portfolio is doing that type of work, it's, it's probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, well-managed and, and may do you well. And I'm not going to say to run out and buy it. It's the greatest thing. I'm not giving it my blessing. But you got to do the homework in there. You want to make sure they're not doing uh, negative options. Or, I'm sorry, uncovered calls, and uncovered options, that kind of stuff where they're doing naked work. Um, naked work doesn't mean they're running around the office like in a nudist camp. It just means they're uh, buying and selling derivatives without owning the underlying stock. Um, so that's what I would look at first. And if you can confirm that, then I, I think it might be a viable option to use um, uh, in, some, in some cases. Well, <clears throat> giving my uh, understanding then, it would be best in a market down market where the calls are expiring without being exercised? Is that a fair estimate? It, and that's where the, the difficulty comes in here is because it, it really shouldn't matter if it's an up or a down market. It has to do with the, um, the direction of the underlying individual stock. So do they have one stock? Do they have 10 stocks? Do they have 500 stocks? But the stock market wouldn't go up or down, and that's probably their marketing thing is that it doesn't matter if the market's going up or down. We generate income from derivatives. Um, my guess is that's their marketing piece. Again, I don't know them. Um, but that'd be my guess. So it's all based upon the underlying direction on whether they have a call, bought, sold, whether they're using a put, but they want to use the premiums from that to generate their income stream. I'd want to know whether or not they're owning the underlying stock, too, uh, for the ones that they're doing. Okay, thank you, Will. I hope that you helps know, you, Tom. Little, well, it's a little above my pay grade, so <laughs> well, you know, you put a toe in the water. You know, Tom, here's the, the biggest thing I had for my investment professor when I was a kid. He said, don't do anything inside of the stock market unless you played with it for a year and you understand how it works because, I shouldn't say the stock market, the options market, which is what derivatives are. Because they're so complex, you have to have an idea of how they work first. 
And especially in something like this, my recommendation would be is, is watch it, read it, do a bunch of homework and research, and understand how it functions. Um, especially in the derivatives fund. Are they holding the underlying securities? Or are they doing the trades naked without holding them? And that's the riskiest of all things that they can do if they're doing it in that fashion. And again, I don't know, but that'd be the homework that I would recommend uh, for you, Tom. There are things in there called SPX, something, something. Those are the derivatives, I assume. So, uh, All right, I'll, I'll dig a little deep. Thank Very you. Very good, sir. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye Thanks now. for the call. Just uh, about a minute left here on this edition of Making Financial Sense on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU. Merle, as always, somebody wants more information on something that we've talked about today on the program. How do they get a hold of you? Well, folks, though we're going to be out for the next couple of weeks, um, a young Mike has taken a vacation here, and I, I applaud you for doing so. Thank you. Um, and then I'll be at a conference, so I'll be out. So next week we're going to have a best of everybody. And then a week after, on May 6th, our good friend Alan is going to be in studio with Mike asking your uh, state questions. So get some good answers, get him stumped up. I like to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be uh, out at the conference. So, uh, But otherwise, we'll be in the office, of course, along the way. You can stop in and give us a stop in and kick the tires and have a cup of coffee on 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street here in Wausau, Wisconsin. You can give us a call locally at 715-849-3600. Or find us toll-free at 866-355-5100 or online at kelchinassociates.com. He is Merle Kelch. We've been 